0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Fans, football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, there's the 24-hour online casino, Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome again, everybody. Mike and Mark with you. And our guest on this episode is really one of baseball's brightest minds who is also part of one of the game's biggest scandals and has been given a shot now at redemption. A.J. Hinch managed the Houston Astros to a controversial World Series championship in 2017. He served a year's suspension for his role in that team's sign-stealing debacle. And he's now back in the big leagues trying to restore his name and revive a struggling organization. And Mark, we've known A.J. Hinch for a lot of years, and there's a lot more to him and his career than the casual fan might actually be aware of. Very interesting, Mike,
2: because this is a controversy, as you mentioned, that uh, is on everyone's mind throughout baseball, around baseball and whatever side you're on, uh, there's going to be a lot of debate. Unfortunately for A.J. Hinch, he has to deal with it. It's that stigma that's attached to his name and how he gets past it is with the Detroit Tigers, his next opportunity. So we're very grateful to hear his thoughts on the controversy and everything that's gone along with his career.
1: AJ, pretty well publicized the Astros' sign-stealing scandal, the tainted 2017 World Series. You served your one-year suspension in 2020, and we're going to catch up with you now during spring training of 2021. You're beginning now a new chapter as a manager of the Detroit Tigers. What's it like for you now being back in uniform and back in the big leagues?
0: Yeah, it's very emotional for me. Um, you know, I missed the game. I, I hated being out of the game. I understood why, and I still understand why. I mean, we, um, you know, we did, we did some things that were wrong and, and crossed the line, and, and I served my punishment as the manager. And I, you know, I'll uh, forever be embarrassed. I'll forever be ashamed of being a, a, a part of that and, and, and having my name linked to it. But the reality is, is it was wrong. And and continue to say you're sorry for your part in it and 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 move forward. You know, one of the things I said when I got hired here is that's that's like on the back of my baseball card. That's not about the Tigers. It's not about my new opportunity. It's not about um, about anything other than than the team that I was previously with. And um, I'll always have to apologize for it because I should. Uh, I will always address it directly as I should. But I. I'm thrilled to be back in uniform. There's 30 jobs like this. I get to be one of them and, and, uh, very fortunate.
2: Uh, you know what, AJ, the court of public opinion is, is whatever side you're on It, 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 you understand you have to deal with that. Uh, me and yourself, we've always been good friends. We've always, um, collaborated on certain things, especially as us as players before you even went into managing and coaching front office stuff, you've done it all. Um, when I look back at that situation, especially uh, Tom Verducci's um, interview with you, you were very forthright. And it doesn't surprise me. You had to answer the tougher questions. You had to deal with the responsibility of being a manager. But to me, as a as a friend of yours, but also a person that respects the way you present yourself, I immediately went to family and how family reacted to that. I would like to ask you, uh, your wife, Erin, daughters, Caitlin and Haley, um, that had to be uh, one of the hard harder dynamics for, for sure
0: yeah for sure and I you know I, I tried to handle it directly internally externally um, with you know in, with, throughout the investigation with players with managers coaches around the league I mean my my whole professional life has been in, in baseball and and so you have that aspect of it and it's a whole different level at home when you're trying to explain to teenage daughters, you know, why dad's not in the dugout anymore in Houston, where we had built a home and built, built a lot of friends. And um, that was hard. You know, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I had to be honest with them uh, about the mistake that we had made and the error in judgment and the, and the continual error in judgment and, and how wrong it was to uh, you know, to be, to disrespect the game, to cheat the game, to, 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 to go down a path of, of competition that's just unfair and, um, you know, it's hard. I mean, I, it's, it, you know, I want to show my girls to be, how to be accountable. I want to, you know, tell my wife how sorry I am that her, her name is, is, is attached with, you know, through my name in baseball. And, and then here come the flood of, of requests to, to do interviews, to, uh, talk on MLB network, to go on, to go on any show Im- imaginable because it was, it was the biggest topic in sports, but all, all I really know is to be me. Um, to be very straightforward and and continue to apologize for how wrong it was and uh, fortunate for me I have a lot of support system including you and other friends that that have stuck by me and my pursuit to get back in the dugout and team called right after the World Series and and uh, and here I am in Detroit as the manager
1: so how how do you feel that you're different whether it's personally or with your leadership style
0: um, well, I mean, anytime you go through something like that, you, you, you kind of always look back and I've always looked back at what, what'd you do, right. What'd you do wrong. And, and the, the immediate reaction is to always to go through what you did wrong. And, you know, I, my, my time in Houston is going to always have that by it. Like it's always going to be a topic when you, when you talk about uh, time in Houston, but I also learned about some valuable lessons throughout on how to deal with star players, how to, how to handle the media in, 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 some really difficult moments i learned how to how to manage on the big stage whether it be an all-star game or a couple world series and so you try to grab some of that goodness out of out of that experience and and build moving forward you know i obviously you know i consider myself a player's manager i consider myself a relationship guy Um, that doesn't change but um, as far as dealing with things you know i You look back to anything in life, you look back five years ago, you know, are you the same person? Are you the same dad? Are you the same husband? Are you the same leader that you, you know, no, you're not because you're always constantly learning. You know, I'm learning from some, some really hot topics and some really difficult situations um, throughout my last, you know, last couple of years in Houston, but um, I'll come out better of it. The same thing I tell my team here, you'll get the best version of me based on my experiences and, and, and we're going to do it the right way.
2: Dealing with failures, uh, dealing with adversity, uh, I think you mold yourself. Uh, we all know that. We're, we're dealt with a lot of it in the game of baseball in general. Uh, you stepped back last year, 60-game schedule. You watched it play out. The Dodgers have the World Series championship, and you step back and you watch the game of baseball. Uh, what did you learn from the different rules, all the different aspects of what the challenges are this day and age?
0: Um, what was that like from uh, A.J. Hinch's lens? Yeah. You know, you, you watch baseball from the couch uh, and you see the game a little differently. Uh, You know, you see how different managers manage, you see how different teams run their teams. You see different, you know, from manager's eye, you're going to look at team defenses. You're going to look at shifting, unshifting. The three batter rule came in, the, the extra inning rule came in. um, The, the no fans was obviously very different. So all the different broadcasts that I watched and, and really just sitting back and watching the game, you know, in its, in its purest form that you could. I mean, there was, there was no real home field advantage. There were, everybody was playing by a new set of rules and, and everybody was playing in a pandemic. And, and so it was, it was, it was, it was good for me to decompress and, and get my time with my family. I get to watch baseball with my daughters. I never get to do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the dugout whenever they're watching baseball. So I tried to make the most of it and watch. And I was in touch with a few people around the game because, uh, you know, the relationships that I have, but it, it was interesting to watch some of my favorites in the game, you know, manage from from a couch as opposed to watching him from across the dugout. In the dugout, you're you're so deeply involved in making sure your 25, 26 guys are prepared and ready to compete, and you're making moves and all of that. You you kind of know what the other side's doing, but you never can really focus on it. Um, this year, obviously, I got a chance to to lock in on how Kevin Cash does it. How how Um, You know, Joe Madden out in Anaheim does it. How does Kapler do it? How does Chris Woodward in Texas do it? Um, They're all very different, and we're all very different. But we're all trying to do the same thing, man. That's win.
1: Well, the podcast is called Major League Beginnings, and you're going to begin now what I believe is your eighth season as a big league manager. So congratulations on this next opportunity. Uh, But let's go way back uh, to the beginning. Your time as a player, seven seasons as a major league catcher, and your memory of what you feel is your signature moment as a player what was it
0: well my signature moments are probably going to be managing and hopefully managing in well into the future uh based up you do look at the back of my baseball card it's not it's not pretty now but there's a number back there that I've always, always been proud of and and I homered off Roger Clemens in I think it was 1999 my second year kind of late in the year you know and and, and as a young player when you break in And you get that you get that start of your career. The first thing that I think hit me was like, hey, there's Cal Ripken. Hey, there's Dwight Gooden. Hey, there's Randy Johnson. Hey, there's Roger Clemens. Like there's Barry Bonds calling pitches. And these guys come up to the plate when you're a catcher. They come up to the plate and they say hello and by your name. Now, you later learn they asked a bat boy or they asked (laughs) the bench coach what your name was like. They don't know you. But, but that feeling of arriving and being a big leaguer. And and then when I hit a homer off of Clemens, there were a couple of things that stood out. Number one, it was like, that's Roger Clemens out there throwing BBs. And the second one was the whole time I was rounding the bases. I'm just like, don't make him mad. Like, don't, (laughs) don't show him up. Don't pump this. Don't smile. Don't do anything. that's going to get you hit in the neck the next time. (laughs)
2: and how was the trot Uh, because I know you you
0: know are you kidding me don't you feel like it's
2: inside the park home run
0: you know when you you hit your first one yeah as catchers our trot and our sprint is relatively the same like it's kind of (laughs) right there in the middle but but it was you know I put my head down I was so pumped I think it was a 3-1 or 3-2 pitch and and that's when you know you collected baseball cards when you were little so did I um, that you know, you know these players, especially in some of these people you're playing against, and that that was a big deal to me. And and you know, a year into my career, it was kind of sound, a little feather in my cap. And then and then later in my career, when I got to Houston as a manager, I got to interact with Clemens, and I told him all about it. <laughs> yeah, of course <laughs> you did.
1: Did he even remember it?
0: <laughs> yeah, of course he didn't remember it. No, he's was, like, was this nine-hole kid that thinks it was the best best point of his career was hitting a. Probably a no-nonsense, no-brainer homer against, uh, against me when I was, you know,
1: with the Yankees. Take us back a year before the home run, though, and uh, your major league debut after you come out of Stanford. Uh, very highly thought of throughout the, throughout the country. And your opening day with the Oakland A's against Boston, and you're hitting seventh against Pedro Martinez. Oh. What do you remember? So that was
0: Pedro Martinez's first American League start. As a, as a Boston Red Sox, he he had come over I think Montreal, I think, in the early parts. And so when he came over, I was like, let me see the, the opening day lineup. And and Art Howe was my manager. And he let us all know who was playing and who wasn't playing. And when you break the team, break with the team and a like, guy officially made it. And I'm like, I'm going to catch Tom Candiotti's knuckleball and face Pedro Martinez is like 95 with a change up. I, I later now I claim that is one of the hardest debuts in the history of baseball on the polar opposites of things. But one of the things I said before I was like, man, I can't wait to write Pedro Martinez's name on the ball when I get my first hit. And of course, like Giambi and and Matt, Matt Stairs was a veteran guy, Kenny Rogers, Ken, Tom Candiotti. They were like, hey, don't don't think you already have a hit just because you're facing Pedro Martinez. And I. He got me out. I didn't get to write his name on the on the on the ball of my first hit, but I I have the lineup card that they gave me from for for making it. And that, that that's that you put that big league uniform on for the first time. I don't care who you face or what you do or 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 how the outcome is like you are you are forever in a select group of, of players.
2: You know what, A.J., uh, the, on a side note, um, I, I faced Pedro when he was in Montreal and uh, I, to this day, that's an easy answer saying, you know, an uncomfortable at bat was Pedro. Also, there was a lot of starters that came up with that uh, mysterious hamstring injuries. That's the reason why <laughs> yeah. I was thrust into the lineup. Um, the, the question I have for you is you made your first appearance on opening day. And uh, was that a home game for you? Home game in
0: Oakland, the Coliseum, yeah.
2: So you're standing, I am assuming, a national anthem. Uh, you got all the the banners around, uh, the excitement of the fans. Uh, what was that like for you? Take us back to that day.
0: Yeah, so that first, you know, the the, the Coliseum was so big. It was a football stadium we were playing baseball in. And, I mean, it's the same. Not a lot's changed in the Coliseum since my debut in 1998. And when we go back there as a, as a visiting manager now. <laughs> but the Coliseum, it was rocking. I mean, there was the, the the loud music, the the opening day, that chill in the air that, that that you know, a, a kind of a, a an evening in the Bay Area can, you know, everybody knows that feeling where it's, you know, is it going to be cold enough to wear sleeves? Is it not? And it's like, I'm like, I'm sweating bullets. I'll be fine, man. I'm so nervous on my first night. And you go down in the bullpen. And, and one of the things that, that really hit me right away is the first thing I noticed is there's no backstop in the bullpens. Oh. For for when uh, when you're warming up the pitcher. And so, I, you know, you're sitting here going, I can't, you know, you miss a ball a knuckleball and it goes down and rolls into the corner and the fans start yelling. Even the home fans are yelling at you and you just want the game to start. And then when you when you have that moment, uh, the national anthem starts. So the, the, everybody runs out to the line. The pitcher and the catcher are down in the in the bullpen getting ready. So, you know, the tip of the cap and they announce your name and then they do the national anthem. And then Candy wanted a couple more, a uh, couple more throws before he walked in, and you walked in together. in the fan anticipation, and you know, I, I was glad personally that I got to be at home and start that first, and it, in my most comfortable position that ever. It was like right behind the plate, like I was catching, more, way more comfortable on defense than I was as a hitter. And that 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 adrenaline rush that that was going on. Seemed to go away as soon as I squatted behind home plate and the umpire says play ball and now we're, now we're just playing backyard baseball.
2: Yeah, now you have to catch the floating uh, a bumblebee, right? <laughs> Instead of a normal uh, fastball. You're, what's that like catching, uh, a, catching a knuckleballer?
0: It was unbelievable. And I, you know, I, I ended up being okay. Now, one thing they did is they let me catch him the entire spring training. And that was a little tip off that I thought I might make the team when I'm catching all of Tom Candiotti's starts. I got the big knuckleball glove. It's the size of like a fishnet. And I feel like a hockey goalie back there. And I, you know, you're, you're doing the best you can. And, and Candy and I worked together all spring. So I was comfortable with that part. It, the thing that people don't appreciate about the knuckleball is like, you don't know where it's going to go. Like every other pitch that you call, like, you know where the slider's going, you know where the, the curveball's going, the fastball, like, generally, you know the action on it. Knuckleball, it's a coin flip. And so we, I only chased, I think, one, one of them back to the backstop that night. Um, I, I always felt like I was athletic enough to handle it, but, um, it was a mentally exhausting day to catch a knuckleball.
1: (laughs) You know, you'd mentioned that, uh, just by getting a chance to catch Tom Candiotti during spring, you thought you might have a shot to make the club, but when the news finally came to you and they said, AJ, we're going to take you, uh, North basically for the big league, uh, with the big league club, who told you what's the story around it and who did you tell right away? Yeah, it's actually
0: the same practice that I use now with our with our players. Was was how it was in 1998. Art Howe pulled me inside one day, and you know, back then you didn't really go in the manager's office unless one of one of a couple things, like you messed up a fundamental play, or you know you were getting sent down to the to the minors. This was a rare occurrence where you got to come in and 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 he he delivered the good news and you know, he told me how proud he was for the work that I did. And, and, and he felt like I was ready and he was looking forward to having me on the major league team. And like, you know, when you sit there, you're like, I want to look cool. I'm going to look, I'm going to look confident. I'm not going to like do anything. And he was like, you're happy. Right. And I'm like, yes, all right. I'm happy. I'm, but I was straight faced. I didn't want to like act too cool or act that I expected it. I just wanted to get out of his office and go call my family and, and friends and let them know that I was a big leaguer in a couple of days.
2: You think about it, uh, you know, when you have those moments, you're you're thinking about, I got to get my hit. You said you wanted to get it yeah. off Pedro Martinez. Well, yeah. you get it off another very talented right-hander, David Cohns, your first hit. Take us into the batter's box. What was that like?
0: Yeah, so I missed my first game over with Pedro, and then I think I got a sack fly against Tim Wakefield, um, which another knuckleballer, so I got to face a <laughs> knuckleballer. And then uh, series change, and and you know i met billy bean was the was the general manager at the time and and the clubhouse in oakland it's no different now is like very very open like you eat out in the clubhouse with the tables and you you dress in the same area and the front office is around a little bit and billy always worked out during games and so when you would come upstairs he would always come down you know come in the clubhouse it was not uncommon for him to be there and one time i was eating lunch i was over my first couple games and i sat i think the third game and mike mcfarland caught and Billy said, Hey, you know, you're going to get a hit eventually. And I was only like, Oh, for four 0 for four five at the time. I'm like, I'm not even struggling yet, Billy. Don't worry about me. Like he said, you're going to, you're not going to need to use that Stanford education. He goes, unless you don't recognize sliders, then you're going to be in deep trouble. And so I go to, so the next guy we're facing is David Cone. What's David Cone's best pitch. He's got the slider, right? He's going to throw this Frisbee right at your front hip. For some reason I ended up locking in with him and, and, you know, I, 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 I was never one to be super patient when I was a hitter. I just wanted to hit fast and hit early and hit that fastball. the first one I saw David Cone floated a little slider up there and, and I hit a rocket into left center and, and, you know, you later learn the cool run to first base. That's like <laughs> the way you start outside and you hit the bag and then you get your secondary or you get out to the, and you come back and you take your gloves off and you hand them to the to the first base coach like I was like sprinting away like I can't wait to get to first base in case the guy was going to throw me out from left center field (laughs) I didn't want him to get me out so I was so happy and then I settled in a little bit actually had a really good first month of the season but it says on my in my in my home office first major league hit I think the date somewhere in April in 1998 David Cohn and and I ended up getting a couple hits against him throughout my career and just sitting slider just like Billy Bean told me
1: Fans want to take a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether you're looking for that rare dead stock or the latest release, you'll find the exact shoe you're looking for. You know, as the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing. You know, with eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. You get a team of experienced folks who are going to verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also gets that authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and it also protects sellers with that verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Hey, the legend has it you own David Cohn. That's how we're selling it. I mean...
0: When you look at, if you don't mind about sample size, good mm-hmm. by me.
1: No, I'm not about <laughs> analytics. I'm not let that get in the way of a good story. At right. your home run, you know what's interesting to me too is that you're talking about how you're going to look rounding bases, and I'm thinking, weren't you on the same team that year in '98 with uh, Ricky Henderson? Probably nobody yeah. better at pimping a home run or running around oh. the bases than Ricky. So I was number
0: 23 and he was number 24 and I batted ninth and he batted first. And so, you know, a lot of lockers, when you, you'd go on the road, like Ricky always got a locker next to him. That was open as a veteran player. Like he got it open, I just happened to fall in line because if they went by numbers, it would be like number 23, then an open locker. And then number 24 and Ricky, you know, he, you know, it was unbelievable. He, he would, he was a great mentor, fun guy to be on, on the team. And another one of those names that's like, I'm playing with Ricky Henderson. Like I have his 1980s baseball card, like, you know, and I have a great picture of me. He was a smaller guy. So like I scored on one of his homers and I have like my hand on top of his head. Like I'm patting him on top of the head as we're walking off. And it says like Hench 23 and Henderson 24 as we're walking back into the dugout. And wow. that that's a cool, a cool uh, picture that I'll always have. But, I could probably fill an entire show of Ricky Henderson stories from that year. But my, my best one is a couple of years later, uh, I'm traded now to the, to the Kansas city Royals. And one of the things that Ricky was always given a hard time was, is he never knew the names of his teammates. And you would always wonder like, man, I wonder if he's ever going to remember my name. So I had Roberto Hernandez who was a closer, um, who had played with Ricky at some point along the way, and everybody has a Ricky story, whether it's the John Olerud story, or whether it's a not cashing a million-dollar check, or not knowing somebody's name. I'm like, he's going to know my name. Like I'm, I locker next to this guy. It's two initials. Like how hard is it? Like he's going to know my name. So we're going to Fenway. He's with Boston, and and they make a bet with me, and it's Mike Sweeney, and Joe Randa, um, and Brent Main. And some some salty veteran guys, they're like, "There's no way Ricky knows. Give your name." So they set the bet, it's pretty you know, pretty high dollar bet for me. And I'm like, "All right, I'll I'll go in say he's going to know my name, but I want if he gets two initials that aren't mine, I want like half credit. So like if he goes JJ or DJ or something like that, like it has to be like I get half my money back because like it, it's I mean, I mean, he he knew that I had two initials." So we walk out to the left field. Nobody can say anything. And from a distance, he's like, AJ, right on cue, nailed it. And I'm like, pay me the money. <laughs> he knew my name.
1: <laughs> so I,
0: I, got, and I got paid. They paid me in cash, meal money, back in cash back in the day. That's so beautiful. It was fun. <laughs> it's a
2: beautiful thing. Everyone has a story of Ricky. And I'll tell you my quick one, which is priceless. Um, I'm in San Diego. He's on the trading block. And I'm there a month. And I said, you know what? I can't pass this moment up. I got to get a signed bat by Ricky. Ask him before batting practice. I said, Ricky, you mind signing the bat for me? And of course, he doesn't know my name. This is a month. I didn't have any bets like you did. <laughs> so I come in after batting practice, and there's a black bat in my locker. And it says Ricky Henderson on it. as a normal bat. And it has everything signed. So all of a sudden, I look at it. It says, Sweeney, best of lucky and God bless Ricky Henderson. P.S. May God bless you. First off, I've never heard anyone say best of lucky, but this was Ricky Anderson. And I know he asked the clubhouse guy who I was. So he said he got Sweeney from the clubhouse guy. But I passed that bat around to everyone and I showed it to him. And I'm telling you, the whole place was laughing. And Ricky comes by and goes, what's everyone laughing at? I don't understand why I was laughing. Well, Ricky is special. Everyone's got a story. Uh, I, I think it's priceless when everyone has a story of a guy that you mentioned is a mentor too. And AJ, that c- forms me to a question: uh, Who was a mentor, a, a teammate that made the greatest impression on you? Because I think that is something that really molds us as a player.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And there's a lot of them, and it's hard to, to pinpoint it. We always go back to that first first year and. There were two for me that first year that, that, that really stood out. And, and that was Tom Candiotti who I caught on opening day um, and Mike McFarlane who ended up being uh, my backup that year. They, they acquired him from I think Boston to be a, to be my backup. And um, you know, him kind of teaching me a pro way, like, how do you, how do you act? What time do you show up to the ballpark? What your interaction with pitchers, um, how you respond to slumps as a catcher and and not take your, your offense to your defense. Uh, and then candy was, was just a veteran guy that I was his personal catcher. I was somebody he was going to throw to all the time. And he took me in and, and, you know, whether it was taking me to dinner on off nights or, or, uh, you know, the old school buy a suit for the young guy, there's, there was just a comfort level when two of the more respected veterans on that team, you know, you know, took, look at, looked out for me, you know, as this kid that was had one year in the minor leagues and I was I was in the big leagues and that was that was huge. And I call them friends to this day. Um, you know, they they are great supporters of mine in this in this new job with uh, managing after playing and uh, can't thank them enough for for laying a, a great foundation for me.
1: Well, if Candiotti had the funkiest stuff you ever had to catch, uh, who had the best, filthiest, pure stuff you ever caught? Oof.
0: You know what? I I think the hardest guy to catch for me, it was a really brief period of time, but it was Billy Wagner. Like I, at that point, I had never seen a left-handed dude throw a hundred that I had to catch. Um, I'd faced Randy Johnson and and other good left-handed guys that were nasty, but I, but to actually sit back there and catch, not to mention it was coming out of this little small body and it was coming in hot and it was coming in late in games. And I, I overlapped with them in the, in Philly for a very, very brief period of time in the spring training and in the big league, it was just an explosive, you know, explosive pitch to deal with, even though you knew it was coming, you're calling a fastball and it still got on you faster than the velocity read and the velocity read 97, 98, 99, hundred. To me, that was the most explosive stuff that I caught, but anybody that, you know, that the, probably the absolute nastiest, like full day's effort, like I'm going to, I'm going to have to pack a lunch is Tim Hudson. You know Tim Hudson. I caught his major league debut in San Diego. Um, He was with the A's. We were playing interleague, so he got to hit. He was a pretty good hitter in college Mm -hmm. at Auburn, and and I just the only thing I didn't want is I didn't want the other team to throw to me in the eight hole because they feared the pitcher behind me was a better (laughs) hitter maybe than I was, and it happened twice. And I was like, man, if I got a kid in front of Huddy, like he had twenty plus homers in college at Auburn, like. You know, but catching-wise, it was going to be a split in the dirt, 25, 30 times, probably for eight or ten punch outs. You're going to have to pick it up and throw it to first. But he, he was just like filthy, nasty sinker at 93, 94. A not small guy, which goes to show you, you don't you can be any size and play this game. But um, big time memories with Huddy.
2: I think he has. Uh, he gave a lot of people protection. Uh, he could swing a bat, man. It was impressive. It was, it was all around game. Uh, but you're right, though. Uh, the type of stuff that he brought, um, he would get you out in so many different ways. Uh, another, obviously, we've touched on the catching position. Uh, who'd you love watching play the game? Who'd you respect the most from the catching position?
0: Oh, man. You know, Pudge was always the dream scenario because he could do it all. You know, he could hit for power. He could run a little bit early in his career and who didn't love seeing him throw, you know, I mean, I, I, and I got, when I got to be in the big leagues when he was, you know, when he was still playing, it was incredible for me to, to make sure that, 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 that you take something away from him, like something, something, I mean, anything that he did, like his mannerisms, uh, the way that he talked to pitchers, he would throw bullets back to the pitcher if he missed his spot. Um, (laughs) I never really did that, but I, there's like there was always something to grab from a guy like Pudge, and it, it he set the bar so incredibly high for catchers behind him because he contributed offensively. He was kind of a, a master behind the play. He'd pick you off. Um, I remember thinking I could get a stolen base on him if I went first move on a left-handed pitcher. He threw me out by 15 feet. I mean, there's there was a lot to like and a lot to dream of when uh, you know when you looked at Pudge Rodriguez when you're a young catcher.
2: Yeah. He used a small mitt and uh, something that's interesting. uh, What did you choose for a glove and and how did you choose that? And did you stay with it your whole career?
0: Yeah. So I, I went Rawlings um, and I used a midsize glove. I have big hands and I, I did like a smaller glove for the size of of my hands because I like to feel where the ball was and, and, and not have like it rattle around, you know, when you catch and to catch and throw and stuff. But, you know, I chose Rawlings. I, I, growing up, I, I didn't, you know, you don't ever really know anything about brands. I, at least I didn't. And in, in Team USA, I remember um, uh, a guy gave me a, a Mike Piazza Mizuno glove, Mizuno glove. And I wore that a little bit in, in the Olympics. But when I got to, to pro ball, Rawlings kind of called and said, you know, I was, a, I was a top prospect and you want to, they want to you know, give you some gloves to try out. And, I'm like, Hey man, they make the gold Glove. Like that was like the Rawlings gold glove was like, I mean, I have to go with them. Nobody else can call me and, and I can't change that. So I stuck with Rawlings my whole career and, and, and really, I mean, there's, there's the heart of the hide, the, um, the quality of their gloves. I still to this day play catch with the glove that I last played with, which is obviously a long time ago. Um, and it's held up great. So I, uh, big Rawlings fan.
1: I'll tell you what we had Jim Hughes on uh, a couple episodes back Jim Hughes uh, for those of us for those of you just tuning into the podcast he's the face man had been for many many years yeah. with Rawlings he's a great uh, podcast to check out for folks who want to know a little bit more about heart of the hide and all the great things that we all grew up reminiscing about uh, how's the catcher position AJ evolved in your mind we've seen so much analytically about pitch framing and do they need to hit yeah. do they not what what's your take
0: yeah, it's different. I mean, I remember, you know, when I got off the field and I, and I, you know came into the front offices before and you start talking to people that are evaluating and they're looking at different things and everybody wants to value it towards runs and, and the pitch framing, you know, took off as a topic. And, you know, I, I believe in it, except I'm, I'm not going to be kind of prisoner to it. I think there's so much more about the position than just simply framing I uh, framing can do, can go a long way. It's, it's obviously super important, but that that has, that has really taken off where you would take a, I remember when we acquired some catchers that were like frame only, couldn't really throw, not great at blocking, but they could associate that with runs. And that's how it really took off in front offices, analytical front offices all around baseball. But, you know, to me that the, the, you know, that catcher that can throw and that shuts the running down game down before the manager can even put the steal sign on, like that's impactful. That's still to this day now in the manager's chair, like you get a guy like Martin Maldonado or JT Romuto or guys that can, you know, Christian Vasquez can really throw in Boston. And there's some dudes that really shut the running game down from the time that you put pen to paper at two o'clock in the afternoon. And that still, I think has held the test of time, but the, the, the offense, if you can hit a little bit, you can, you can do some serious damage in, in terms of your career. And, and you got some earning potential sustainability to, to get some contracts and stick around in the game. And, but you have to do something well uh, in addition to just frame to be like a true everyday guy. But one of the things that's always, that I've, that I've always told teams, I've never seen a successful team have a bad catcher. Like that guy is really impactful. He's one of the few guys on the field that makes a decision other than the manager, it's manager, third base coach and the catcher. Those are the guys that make the decisions in the competition. And so you better, you better treat that, that position with respect and get a good guy back there.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that, AJ. I mean, one of the guys that sticks out in my mind that everyone watches now, he just signed back with the Cardinals, is Yadier Molina. Uh, yeah. this, this is the staple of a guy that the old school mentality, but you can't win without a catcher. He's the 10th guy on the field and he's managing that game. Um, speaking of managing, we talked about mentors as a player. There has to be mentors for you as if from the managing standpoint. Um, anyone stick out in your, your opinion?
0: Well, the beauty uh, of a little bit like me and you is we got to play for a lot of them because we couldn't <laughs> quite stay in one place for a long time. Um, and I, you know, I take a little bit from everybody. I mean, I, I think at the end of my career, you know, I really started to dig in on the managers. When I first broke in, in the, in the late nineties, you kind of feared the manager. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, you didn't have this collaborative conversation and this, con- you know, this this investment in the relationship with the manager, the coaches, you did, but the manager was sort of that that principal. It's like the principal's office. You weren't going to go in there unless something bad was happening. It's changed over the years to now where I'm interacting, you know, all the time with our players and 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 trying to help them. But I, at the end of my career, I got to play for Charlie Manuel, um, in in a brief period of time, and and Gene Lamont was the AAA manager at the time, and both of those guys kind of embody that 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 fatherly grandfatherly figure that old timer that's been in the game a long time, has a lot of history, a lot of dirt under his spikes is, is what you kind of say in the, in the game. And like, he's done a lot. And they, 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 what they do is they talk baseball all the time. They don't talk numbers. They don't talk, you know, uh, data. They don't, they, they talk baseball. It's baseball plays. And I really, you know, one of the things Charlie Manuel always told me is there's, you got to find a way to connect to your players like how they want to be connected to. Right. So we had Jim Tomey on that team and, and Mike Lieberthal and Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley and Ryan Howard, some young, some old, some talkative, some not. Bobby Brady was the quietest superstar in baseball in my, in my last couple of years in Philly. But Charlie had an unbelievable way of like of being consistently, you know, consistent across the board, but but also like connecting with different style of people in the clubhouse. And I kind of love that. I kind of, I see that looking back now, it was a huge strength of his was the people component of his. Now he would ride you. He would yell at you. He would, you couldn't, you know, don't dare mess up a bump play or something fundamental, but, but he, he always felt like he was in your corner. And I think that's where managing today is when you look at the successful managers, like Kevin Cash and, and Aaron Boone and Craig council in Milwaukee does an incredible job. And Dave Roberts in LA, like, there's a common theme with all these guys. Hopefully I'm in that category too, where you you are the, the sort of glue in the middle of an operation that's totally complicated nowadays. It's data, people, agents, free agency, uh, performance. So many people covering the game. It's it's important that you have that rock in the middle of that team, the manager position to to blend all that stuff together for the players.
1: You were a psych major in uh, at Stanford, weren't you? Yeah. All right, so yeah, I would so imagine... I- Yeah, that would have probably helped you more than you expected uh, at this point in your career. Um, Yeah, no doubt. When you are winding up your career as a player, was there a moment, an epiphany where you said, yeah, I want to become a manager. What's it going to take to get there? Or was it guys like Charlie Manuel or Gene Lamont who kind of encouraged you to take that path?
0: Yeah, no, no one really talked to me about managing um, when I was done. When I was done playing, I guess I was a pretty good self-evaluator that I thought I was on the wrong side of the fence on the, the major league, minor league um, viewpoint. Like I was getting some minor league contracts and I'd get a, I'd dabble in the big leagues and I'd get sent down and we were starting a family in, in Phoenix. Uh, my wife is from Phoenix. We were going to start a family and have kids and, and ironically, Josh Burns got the job in Arizona as the general manager. And, you know, a lot of people had talked to me about post-playing career. Was it going to be in, you know, it's gonna be one way or the other, coaching or front office. And and what I found is it's gonna be both. But I Josh got that job in Arizona, and it was almost like like a match made in heaven for me is like a guy who called me to get a to be the farm director and director of player development with the, with the diamondbacks. And it's in where I live, where my wife's from, my in-laws are there, my kids are my first kid was about to be born. Like there was an element like, man, this is. This is, like, this is like a sign that I need to come off the field. And I immediately went from sort of an older AAA slash big league player to a young executive. Like literally overnight, it felt like it just switched. And all of a sudden, the people viewed me a lot differently. And I didn't plan on managing at all. I was pursuing a general manager career path, and I was going to go try to run my own team and and use that Stanford degree to, to the best of my ability. And it wasn't until Josh, a couple of years later, came and to, took me to lunch and said, I want you to manage, was uh, the first thought I had of like, wow, I can go in, back in the dugout at the major league level.
2: Yeah. And you think about it now, um, managing the Detroit Tigers. Uh, there's a lot to that. Uh, the English D, you put on that, that on your chest. There's pressures that involve getting them back to where they need to be. What's next for AJ Hinch? How, how do you feel that this organization is? Is this your last stop in, in yeah. the big leagues as a manager?
0: I hope not. I mean, unless I'm going to be here a decade, I hope, uh, you know, I hope not. I mean, I, I want to be in this game as long as the game will, you know, will open its doors to me and I have opportunity. I, this, this job means a lot to me for a lot of reasons. I mean, and there's 30 of us and, and we talk about it as managers. Like these are hard jobs to get. They're hard jobs to keep, you know, and, and, and cause the pressure that's on to win and, 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 and all the scrutiny that comes in every decision that we make. And, we sign up for that, so we'll, we'll we'll take it. But it's a difficult it's a difficult uh, job to have. I mean, I was, um, you know, obviously I was there five or six years in Houston. I, if I can be here as long as as the Tigers will have me, all the better. But this job also means a lot to me because of how how sacred this position is. Um, it it means a lot that, that an organization would bestow the responsibility of that leadership job on me, uh, not just coming out of of my last situation, but actually just handing you the keys. To the future of this franchise with so many good young players in the pipeline you know they expect me to develop these guys and and bring a world series championship to the city you know this is a very historic franchise one of the oldest in baseball and and uh, with a deep fan base that, that 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 loves their tigers like when you walk, go around michigan you don't see other teams gear like you see tiger gear you see the old english d you see you know, you know, Cabrera jerseys and Trammel jerseys and Whitaker jerseys and you know Ty Cobb with no name on his back jerseys. Like there's, it's the heritage and the, and the history here is unparalleled. You know, outside of maybe Yankee Stadium, that's where you see this other history. So we're we're at the very beginning of what we hope to be a very long run of success with the players. But it's so proud to be a Tiger again, man. I was here for one short season. I played for Alan Trammell. I mean, that's. Um, That in itself was a uh, was a dream scenario. And um, it's 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 a it's a job that I'm going to I'm going to, like I said, give my best version of myself forward and, and, and make the city proud.
1: Well, we do wish you obviously the best of luck in the new role. But before we let you get out of here, let's pull out to about thirty thousand feet. Get you to assess the state of the game. You're always so sharp and thoughtful. And we're hearing so much about pace of play and how the league wants to change some of the dynamics of the game to perhaps make it more appealing. How do you see the game right now? What do you like? What do you want to see change?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I love the game in its purest form. I mean, I but I also love the game that evolves. You know, I mean we we do need to listen to our our people, that our fans, our, the people that are interested in the game, while always remaining true to our our core standards. I mean, the games, you know, the game's not going to change a ton, but we can always make it a little bit better. And I and I, you challenge a traditionalist to, to to keep evolving with the sport because, you know, we look back at the, the MLB's done a pretty good job of of adding new things that now are our norm that we originally didn't like. Slide rule can't run over the catcher. Uh, hold your four fingers up instead of have to throw four balls. We blew a gasket when all this stuff happened and the game's fine, the game survived. And so I think we have to keep nudging it little parts of the game without, without destroying the core values of the game and continue to try to improve it. Whether that is pace of play, whether it's kind of, you know, valuing the, you know, the, the good baseball player and not just the guy that hits 30 homers and strikes out 200 times. I mean, there's there, you know, we have an opportunity now with, um, potentially the universal DH to make it a more offensive game. And, but we've got to, we've got to continue to try to make a near perfect sport even more perfect. Um, And we need everybody's sort of participation to get it right. You know, I mean, this, this game means so much to so many people. And we are sort of stewards of the game moving forward to where, when there's a new version of AJ Hinch sitting in a manager's chair who had a less than illustrious major league career, but a, you know, an interesting life through baseball and kind of given every professional day that I have is gonna be in baseball. We we want that person to be, to have a better sport when we hand them the sport. And that goes across the board, whether you're in, involved in the sport covering it, whether you're a participant, whether you're a fan of it, you know, you want the next generation to, to get the best version of baseball.
1: Now we all learn as we go, whether it's personal or, or professionally and AJ, Thank you so much for the time. Best of luck as you embark on uh, the next chapter, the new chapter of your career as a manager of the Detroit Tigers. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Love you guys. Thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard and we'll see you next time.